0: May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Merry Christmas! My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the Senior Pastor at Parkway Fellowship. Glad you're here today because we're continuing in our message series called Christmas Carols where we are looking at the historical and biblical background of some of the most famous Christmas carols. Um, In fact, did you know that um, the Christmas carol Silver Bells, has nothing to do with sleigh bells. The entire song is actually about volunteers from the Salvation Army ringing their bells on the streets of New York City. In fact, that song was originally titled Tinkle Bells until the authors realized the dual meaning, and then they changed it. (laughs) Another great story of another carol is the carol Joy to the World. That song wasn't actually even about the birth of Christ. Um, And it actually wasn't even a Christmas song. Isaac Watts originally wrote that song about the second coming of Christ and how the world would rejoice at the return of the one true king. But the song wasn't popular until it became associated with the birth of Christ and then it just took off. Well, okay. I mean, well, why do we even want to know these kinds of backgrounds and interesting facts about some of these carols? And yeah, it does make fun discussion, but even more than that, when we understand the background of some of these carols and we understand the deeper meaning of some of these carols, then it gives us a deeper meaning at Christmas time. And it gives us uh, a deeper spiritual encounter um, emotionally and in our relationship with God. Because here's the deal. When we understand what the authors of some of these carols, what they were going through, that it, it can help inspire us in our faith. Just like in the, when you're reading the Bible, when you understand what's going on in the life of the person that you're reading about and what they're going through, then it inspires you when you're going through the same thing. And, and the truth is, There's a lot of hurt behind some of these carols. In fact, today's carol is one of those. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. That carol is actually based on what the angels told the shepherds the night that Jesus was born. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. And let's read the verse together. It's in Luke chapter 2, beginning of verse 13. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. Now, the Carol for today was originally written as a poem by the famous Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. It was written during the Civil War in 1863. Um, his son, Charles had enlisted in the Union Army against his father's wishes. And as you can imagine, several months later, his son was severely wounded in battle. And then after that, his wife Frances died in an accidental fire. And it was through all of that grief that Longfellow wrote the words to this song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill toward men." And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You see, Longfellow was questioning the goodness of God. His son, severely wounded. His wife, dead. Honestly, it didn't seem like there was much peace on earth. And he wasn't experiencing much goodwill toward men. Fast forward to our day and age, there's some things that are going on in our world that I have a difficult time reconciling with the goodness of God. One of those is the trafficking of little girls in the sex trade. I mean to think about little girls, six, seven, eight, nine years old, being sold to men five to ten times a night. Every night. Evil is strong. As the carol says, hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And sadly enough, it's not just little girls, it's little boys too. Which is why I'm so glad that our church works with an organization like Love 146. In fact, let's welcome Rob Morris, the president and co founder of Love 146, to the stage this morning. Rob, come on out here, buddy. So glad that you're here, man. So glad you're here. You know, uh, Rob and I, I mean, I've known about Rob, and he's known about our church and me for a while, but this, today, was act- this morning, Early this morning, was the first time we actually met, and I knew I liked him already, you know, because we're, we see eye to eye. Uh, <laughs> but listen, Love 146 is an amazing organization. They work 24-7, 365 to stop human trafficking. And I, honestly, I believe that they're going to do it, because God uses men like Rob and their organization to do incredible things in this world. And Rob has six kids of his own, so I know that this topic is very near and dear to his heart as a father. So Rob, why don't you share with us for a little bit, and then I'll come back and wrap it up. All right. Thanks, man. Well, good
1: morning. Good morning. Yeah, I was, uh, I love the short jokes. Um, yeah, we, I, I have a... Um, Again, I have six kids, I have a 13 year old son. Our four youngest are, are adopted and, and we tell uh, specifically my 13 year old son, who's six foot two, that people will always know that you're adopted because there's no way you came from, from, uh, from this. So it's funny when I, when I hug and kiss him goodnight, he just sort of pats me on the head. Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of a humiliating thing. Anyway, um, so good to be with you. I love being able to see you face to face because your exploits in a- absolutely b- powerful and beautiful uh, ways in that your generosity uh, last year in the offering that was taken up for our work shocked our entire organization. Um, as some of you know, Matthew Miller, one of my colleagues, um, got the phone call from, from Mike when he called and said, hey, this is what you know, our church raised and it was, one of the largest offerings we had ever seen, ever taken for the organization. When Matthew called me up, he says, Rob, are you sitting down? And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, because this could go any direction, right? So I sit down and he told me, and it was just absolutely amazing and shocking. And so even the words thank you just seem like they fall a little short in being able to come face to face and just say personally to you, thank you, not just on behalf of an organization, But on behalf of all of our staff and the children that we get to partner with, it's an incredibly encouraging thing. People ask us all the time, how do you keep your heads on straight? How do you keep your heads above water when your heads and our heads are buried in some of the darkest stories imaginable, day in and day out? And the answer is because of you is because when, when people come to the table and say, we're in this with you, um, it is just like a shot in the arm. It is unbelievably encouraging and it sends its ripples all the way through uh, the entire organization. So thank you for being that for us. I love, by the way, the family atmosphere in this church has just been incredible. I've had more people tell me today that they love me than I've ever had, I think. Ever I don't know what that's all about, but thanks for that, much, uh, much appreciated. Um, there is a civil rights leader from way back, W.E.B. Dubois, who made this statement. He says, there is but one coward on earth, and that is the coward who dare not know. And I think when we hear painful stories and really dark things and, and issues that are just heartbreaking, there's a part of us that just doesn't want to know, right? There's a part of us that just recoils, that, man, I just want to turn the other direction. I want to bury my head in the sand. I want to cover my eyes and ears. I just don't want to know. So it takes courage to not do that. It takes courage to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm, go- I'm, I'm in. I want to know um, what this is about. And, and taking that to the next level, um, Jewish historian Yehuda Bauer made this statement concerning the Holocaust, when he said, I think there should be three new commandments to the existing 10. And those are, thou shalt not be a victim, thou shalt not be a perpetrator, and the last, he says, is the most important of all, thou shalt never, ever be a bystander. And so thank you for not only having the courage as a church to know about this issue, but to take it to the next level and saying, we're in this fight, we're going to do something about it. So we deeply, deeply um, appreciate that. I love this carol by Longfellow in that you see a really beautiful example and really a heartbreaking example of somebody wrestling with the realities of living in a dark world that it is messy, it is a mess. And you hear the honesty and the transparency in the words that he writes there of that tension of this is not the way it was meant to be. This pain, this heartbreak, this hurt, this disappointment is not the way um, it was meant to be. And I love that he, he almost asks the question um, toward the end of that song, peace on earth, really? goodwill toward men? Really? Is this the reality? Because what I'm seeing around me, and it's so easy to get consumed and overwhelmed by what we see around us. You know the feeling where you wake up in the morning and you, the newspaper just gets too painful. You just want to put the newspaper um, aside. Or the evening news gets too crazy and the stories get too painful and you just want to shut the news off. I, I thought about it yesterday flying down here from Connecticut. I, I, I live and we work within about 20 minutes of Newtown. And yesterday was the first anniversary of, of the horrendous massacre that happened in the school in, in Newtown. Some of our staff live in, in, in the town of Newtown. And, and so it was really vibrant yesterday as I was flying down here thinking about the pain that that represents. It, the individual families that were so impacted and really a nation impacted um, by this kind of horror, this kind of heartbreak, and, and the wrestling. And so I could really relate to that ache that you hear in Longfellow's um, song, that this is not the way it's supposed to be. So if you're like me, though, I can easily become overwhelmed like the deer caught in the headlights when I hear statistics. And I could rattle those off for you this morning and make you could leave here just like, whoa, when you hear that there's between 20 and 30 million slaves alive on the planet today, that's... Big, man, that's huge. I I was given the impression in high school that slavery ended with the Emancipation Proclamation. But the reality is that slavery still exists in some of its worst forms, and and it affects sometimes the most vulnerable, which are children um, and and women. And, And so we can get overwhelmed when we hear those stats, and so we have to break it down into a human level. We're not talking about issues and causes and numbers, we're talking about children. We're talking about human beings, people who are image bearers of the most high. And it's super important that we remember that. And so we have to think about that all the time even as an organization. When I think about the individuals that are affected by injustice and oppression, I think about a therapy session that our director of aftercare did with some of our girls where she asked them um, to to walk down this pathway through the property where our safe home is in, in the Philippines. And she says, I want you to picture your future. What do you see? And one of the first signs of recovery taking place in a child that we work with is when a child can be begin to dream again about a future. Because most of the time when they first come to us, there's a complete disconnect when they're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? There's just this like blank stare, like, what does that mean? If I survive today, that's a good day. There's no sense of tomorrow or a future. And so when a child can begin to say, I want to be a teacher when I grow up, or I want to be a social worker, whatever it might be, we celebrate that like crazy because it's a sign that they're beginning to dream again and recovery is, is beginning to take place. And one in a time, one girl walked down this pathway and, and she says, I picture myself turning 18 one day. One day I'm going to reach my 18th birthday and people are going to celebrate that. Maybe I'll have a party for the first time in my life. Here's a girl who never even thought that she would reach the age of 18. This was her dream in life. This is the darkness that we're talking about. This is the brokenness that we're talking about. A child can't even think that they're going to turn 18 one day. Another girl walks down the pathway. She says, I have a dream that one day I'm going to walk down an aisle at my high school graduation. One day I'm going to get an education. I may even go to high school and graduate from high school. Simple dream that she had. Third girl, heartbreaking, she walks down the pathway, She stopped in the middle of the pathway and she pretends to hold a bouquet of flowers as she closes her eyes and she says, I have a dream that one day maybe I'm gonna get married that maybe somebody will love me and value me the way that I should be loved and valued. And absolutely heartbreaking afterwards as she expressed her doubts to our director of aftercare saying, do you really think that's ever gonna happen for me? When anyone finds out what I've been through or what has happened to me, do you think they're actually gonna desire me or love me or value me the way I should be loved or valued? This is what we're talking about here. Human beings, real people. Um, I remember a girl one time meeting her in, in, in a shelter. She had just recently been rescued um, out of a brothel, and she was so broken, she would spend her days at the edge of the safe home property sitting in a pile of dirt, taking handfuls of dirt and just pouring dirt over her head, wanting to disappear into the ground. I can't even fathom that kind of brokenness especially um, in a child, and that's what we're, we're talking about here. So we are in this season called Advent where we're celebrating the coming of hope, this sense of expectation building, and what is that based in? but it is based in a God who is not the one that turns away or buries his head, but physically immersed himself into the mess, physically immersing himself into the darkness in the form of a baby born in a nasty, messy stable as a sign that I'm not afraid of this mess, I'm gonna be in it with you. It's what we call Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, not God outside of the mess, dabbling in it, but a God who immerses himself um, into the mess, and then he calls us to partner with him and to do the same. There's a passage of scripture that blew me away when I discovered it years ago, where I used to think that nothing could shock God, right? He is God, he's the creator of the universe. Nothing can astonish the most high, right? But there is a place that I found, it's the only place in all the Bible that I found that there is something that actually astonishes him. What's weird is that it's not the thing that I would have expected it to be. The reality is I would expect that it would astonish God that children are being sold like commodities for the most terrifying imaginable reasons. Um, I would think that the idea that 40,000 people are going to die today because of extreme poverty would be shocking and astonishing to God. But God says, these are the things that break my heart. In the book of Isaiah, he talks about the hungry, the naked, the oppressed, the poor, the fatherless, and the widow. And he says this breaks my heart, and I look for justice, and justice is no Nowhere to be found. And he goes on to say, So I looked for somebody to intervene. I looked for somebody in Isaiah 59, he says, I looked for somebody to stand between the strong and the weak, to do something about the mess. And I was astonished, shocked, stunned that I found no one. I don't know about you, but that just obliterates me, that the thing that can astonish the creator of the universe is not the injustice and the craziness of the darkness and all of that. It's when he looks for somebody, his own people, to do something about it, and he doesn't find us there. God help us to be found by him immersed in the mess. I remember when I was leaving um, the high school parking lot one year when I was in high school, somebody on the bus, we were on the bus, somebody yells, fight, fight. We look out the window and there was a crazy fight happening in the school parking lot. And we all rushed to the side of the bus to get a window seat to watch the fight happening in the school parking lot. You know what that's all about, right? Almost tipping the bus over and we're watching and there's like 15 people on one kid. And I don't know what this kid did, but he upset a lot of people. And they were pounding the life out of this kid. They were going to kill him. They were stomping on his head and kicking him in his face and in his ribs. He was curled up in the fetal position on the floor. They were just on him, this mob. And we're all looking out the window like, oh, man. Oh, oh, did you see that? And there was a kid on the bus. He was on the baseball team. And I remember that little fact, because he ran to the back of the bus, and he pulls his baseball bat out of his duffel bag, and he goes running down the aisle of the bus, yelling at the bus driver, stop the bus, stop the bus. And the bus driver looks in the rearview mirror, sees this kid with a baseball bat, slams on the brakes of the bus. I will never forget this picture, as this kid barreled off of this bus, literally risking his own life, he just throws himself into this angry mob of people, and he just breaks. He's sobbing. He's crying. He's swinging his bat, crying, leave him alone. Leave him alone. He's just one kid. He's only one kid. And he disperses this angry mob of people. And I will never forget this sick feeling coming over me in that moment as I discovered what I was. I'm just an observer, man. That's all I am. I'm sitting on the safety of my bus, looking out the windows on gross injustice, never thinking about the possibility of engaging. Possibly because of that whole mentality that so many of us are used to of like, well, what can one person do? There's 15 people there, what can one person do? When you hear the statistics about issues like child trafficking and everything, what could one person, it's too big, it's too big. So we're immobilized and we just stay on the bus and we look out the windows and we learn and and we just stay there. Or maybe it was just because of fear of like, man, what could potentially happen to me if I engage or whatever? I don't know what the reasons were, but there was something that was planted in me in that moment. This sense of determination of I never want to feel like this again. I never want to be this guy again. And it was a seed planted there that took years and years and years to eventually give birth into something that actually looks like doing justice. But something happened there. You guys, the church was never meant to be a boss. It was never meant to be a place where we stay safe and secure in here and we look out the windows on the craziness and the insanity of what's happening out there in the mess and everything because we serve a God who is known by Emmanuel, God with us, not God on the bus, but a God who is in the mess, who is immersed in the craziness and the madness of humanity and that's what God has called us to. And I remember the thing that re- that basically engaged that seed in me was years ago uh, back in 2002 when some of my friends and I were learning about this for the is- for the issue Issue for the first time that's child trafficking thing and we're like wanting to learn more about it and we connected with another organization made up of criminal investigators and they said man if you really want to educate yourself you should get a first-hand encounter what this looks like they invited us in on an investigation that was taking place in a Southeast Asian country and we went with them and I will never forget these guys basically pose as customers they have undercover surveillance equipment on they go into brothels they gather enough evidence they then present that evidence to local authorities first having to find out local authorities that are not corrupt because oftentimes you'll see corruption there and when there's a strong enough case. A raid happens. These kids are taken out, put into safe places, shelters, where they begin their recovery process, and hopefully back home again if their home wasn't involved in them being trafficked to begin with, and these perpetrators are arrested. So that's the hope anyway. And I remember as we were getting ready to go in, they were teaching us how to pose as customers. And I have to tell you, it was probably the most disturbing experience of my life, having to be the ver- pretend to be the very thing that everything in me is completely and utterly repulsed by. And I remember as we went in, the investigator said, oh one last thing, if you don't think you could hold it together emotionally, don't go in because if you freak out in there, you could destroy this investigation. We were like no worries until we got in there. And I will never forget as we found ourselves standing in this room looking through these glass windows at young children having even the dignity of a name strip them and they just had numbers pinned to their red dresses and on this side of the glass I was standing shoulder to shoulder with predators who were purchasing these kids for absolutely horrific reasons. And all of a sudden, those words in my head were coming again of that investigator saying, if you don't think you can hold it together, because everything in me as a man, as a father as a human being, wanted to react, and I wanted to smash through that glass and try to get as many of those kids out of there as I could. Everything in me was trying to figure out how many of these guys in this room could we take out right now. All of these thoughts and and, and emotions were raging, and we had to restrain ourselves so as not to destroy this ongoing investigation. And I remember the thing that so took my breath away was the looks in the eyes of these kids. Having six kids of my own, one of the few things I figured out about children is that if there should, anybody on the planet that still has a light on in their eyes that still has that sparkle in their eyes, it should be a kid. And to see that completely stripped from them, they were like little robots, completely shut down emotionally. They were staring at children's cartoons playing on television sets, waiting to be purchased. And there was this blank robotic stare, completely shut down, except for one girl. And my guess was that she was probably new to the brothel because that that light had not been taken from her yet. She was the only one not looking at the children's cartoons. She was staring at us through the glass and there was still this fight left in her eyes. I will never forget those eyes, never forget that face. Oftentimes it's the last face that I see at night before I go to sleep and I'll never forget her number. Her number was 146. And so even naming our organization is to remind us on a daily basis, this isn't about issues, causes, or statistics. It's about individual children that God loves and wants to do something um, in, in their lives. And, and so we birthed this organization where we have aftercare programs, caring for survivors. We also just don't wanna keep doing that. We wanna stop it from happening. So we develop prevention programs. We've developed task forces. And this isn't something that just happens in Eastern Europe where we work, or, or Asia, but it happens here. We just opened an office in Houston this past year. We're working in prevention education, going into schools and educating young people and those that work with young people. We have task forces. We'd love, if you're interested in that, to connect with us out that task forces are basically the hands on, I'm a modern day abolitionist, I wanna do something about this in my own uh, city. And so things were birthed out of that place. I think sometimes we look at the the human race as the sinking ship. It's like the the Titanic and it's going down, man. And you know what we do? We build a lifeboat and we call it the, the church and we're like sailing away from the mess and the sinking ship and God is like calling us back. If God is saying anything today, he's calling us back to the sinking ship where the cry of the human heart is, oh come, oh come Emmanuel. Show up in the mess. And oftentimes we're moving in the opposite direction of where God wants us to go. So God wants us to show up in the mess and when we do, Anything can happen, miracles take place. And, and I've gotten to see, um, in the last few years, I've gotten to see a young girl who one day had a dream of turning 18, turn 18, and we celebrated her birthday like there was no tomorrow, we went wild. I saw a girl who one day had a dream that maybe she would graduate from high school, go to school, graduate from high school, go on to college, receiving a certificate that now enables her to work with other kids who've been through what she's been through. And I saw a girl who had this distant dream when she stood there holding a pretend bouquet of flowers on her wedding day, actually holding a real bouquet of flowers, man, as she was marrying a good man, a man who loved her and valued her the way she should be loved and valued. Anything is possible. You know, years ago, I I was at a shelter um, where these kids were, and this young girl comes running up to me, all giggling and sparkly-eyed like a little girl should be, and she's tugging on my shirt, trying desperately to tell me something in a language that I don't speak or understand, so I couldn't figure out what she was saying, but she was trying so hard to tell me something, I bring the translator over. She was a caregiver in the home that could translate it to English, and I said, can you tell me what she's trying to tell me? I, I can't figure it out, and, and she's trying hard to tell me something, and so the translator listens to the little girl, and, and I see what looks like a grin come over this translator's face. She looks at me, she goes, Rob, she wants to teach you to dance. You guys, I do not dance, all right? When I try, my kids say that I flail, I don't dance, okay? But when the broken ask you to dance, you dance. And I will never forget that afternoon as this little girl was teaching me the moves to this traditional Cambodian dance and I'm trying my best to mimic these moves and everything, attracting the attention of the other kids in the safe home who started gathering around, laughing hysterically, pointing at the awkward white guy, trying to look graceful, man. And it was such a, be- I don't think I ever understood true celebration as I did that afternoon dancing with this young girl and these other kids just dancing um, around. And later on I asked the translator about this young girl. I said, could you tell me her story? She just stole my heart away. And she told me her story and it was as horrific as you could possibly imagine. But she says, but Rob, this is the same girl who just a year ago would sit at the edge of the safe home property in that pile of dirt, taking handfuls and handfuls of dirt, trying to disappear into the ground. Do you believe in a God who brings beauty from ashes? I do with everything in every fiber of my being. I get to see him do it, and the crazy, wild, and beautiful thing of it all is that he uses simple people like me and you. So again, I just wanna say thank you for helping write the stories of these children and changing their stories drastically into stories of beauty and restoration and joy because that, at the end of the day, is what Christmas is all about. God bless you, Mike.
0: and so now it's up to us now it's up to us to be a part of what God is doing through this incredible organization I mean this is why we have an annual Christmas offering to help organizations like this to prevent evils like that and so I want you to go ahead and look at your, your, your messages. Flip it over on the back. We have one fill-in for today, one. And that is this. The goal of our Christmas offering this year is $100,000. That's it. And this, or this Christmas offering, 100% of the money is gonna go and help four organizations that all they do is help kids. World Vision, which helps impoverished children all over the world. Still Creek Ranch, which offers shelter and education for kids whose parents cannot care for them. Katie Christian Ministries, which provides food, clothing, and school supplies for local children. And Love 146, that helps prevent little girls from being trafficked and restores those who have. When you give to the Christmas offering, the lion's share of this money is going to go to help Love 146. And if we exceed our goal... 100% of the money that is over that goal is going to go help stop human trafficking. So please, give to this offering. Because isn't the best thing for these girls to never experience the horror in the first place? Because here's the deal. Every dollar you give goes to help prevent A little girl from being trafficked. Every dollar you give helps rescue another girl and helps her become restored and get her life back. I want you to look at how this carol concludes. Then the uh, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolve from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You see, even Longfellow realized that in the end, God wins. God wins. Evil has a very temporary hold on this world. One day, Jesus Christ will come back. History as we know it will end. God will cast the devil into a lake of fire and then judge all men. But until that day comes, you and I, we have to do everything we can, every chance we can to help spread peace on earth and goodwill towards men, and especially to little children. And helping an organization like Love 146 does just that. So I want you to take your connection card. I want you to look at it. I want you to look on the back. Look at the next steps that are there. And I want you to check the next step or steps that you're gonna to take today. I hope it's this first one. I will give to the Christmas offering this year. I'm not asking you to give an amount, I'm asking you to pray and ask God how much he wants you to give. And then whatever he tells you, give that. But would you give to the offering this year? It will change the life of a child. Next, add my name and info to the Love 146 mailing list. Now look, here's the deal. At Parkway Fellowship, we never, ever share your personal contact information with anybody under any circumstances. However, if you check this box, then you are giving us permission to send your contact information to Love 146. Now, they they tell me that they never, ever share their contact information with anybody else either. So it's not like your name or information is going to get sold on a list somewhere else down the line. That will never happen. But if you just want more information and you want them to start giving it to you, then check that box. Next, send me information about starting or joining a Love 146 task force. Now, Rob didn't get a chance to talk much about that, and I don't have time to tell you about it. There's information at a table outside. You can ask questions there. But if you want to actually get involved with Love 146, there, is, there are different task forces that you can join to help do some hands-on work in... Um, in addressing this issue of human trafficking. And this, just send me information. We'll send you information about it. There's multiple levels in which you can get involved. And so if you want information, check that box. Next, send me information about creating a Love 146 event or fundraiser. Next, I commit to pray weekly for 146, a Love 146 in 2014. Would you do that? Or the last one, I want to become a Christ follower today for the very first time in my life. But maybe you came to church today because you're searching for something. Because maybe there's been some tragedy in your life. Or maybe there's just some dark things going on that you want to escape from. Let me tell you, you've come to the right place. Because Jesus Christ is your first best hope. And if you want to become a Christ follower, you have to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you for everything you've ever done wrong. And then secondly, commit your life to following him from this day forward. If you've never done that, there's a prayer at the bottom of your message notes. If you will pray that prayer and mean it, you can become a Christ follower today. But check this box because we want to send you some information in the mail. In fact, I want to to give everybody a chance to respond to God right now. I want you to look at your next steps and I want you to pray and ask God to help you follow through maybe what you need to give. Or if you want to become a Christ follower, this is your chance to pray that prayer. But I want everybody right now, bow your head, and I want you in these next moments, do business with God. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.